This is CX of M Radio, the voice of customer experience professionals. special welcome as always for those of you listening for the first time. It's here folks, it's anniversary month. The world of UX is celebrating its second year anniversary. We've been broadcasting now, producing podcasts now for two years and we want to celebrate the entire month. So we're, we're happy about it. We're excited about it. I told you this special month was coming and here we are. We're going to kick off this month by doing something we've never done before. I have a guest who's about to introduce herself momentarily, uh, but we're going to flip the script in this show. And I have gone on this person's podcast twice. Now, this person is an interviewer extraordinaire. Uh, I'm happy to have her here. She is going to grill me. If it's my show, I have no idea pretty much what she's going to ask me, but she's just going to let it rip. And she's going to ask me the types of things people want to know, I'm sure, and hear me talk about different things that, that she and I have talked about on a regular basis are liable to come up. But this is just, again, I refer to this, if you haven't been to our website, worldoux.com, I have a little saying up there that says that this is the the no-holds-barred UX podcast. And so we're going to bring that to you today, hook, line, and sinker. Uh, straight no chaser, as some people might say. Uh, so uh, glad to welcome today. And as always, she's my guest, even though she's going to be interviewing me. Uh, I like for guests to introduce themselves, but I am so, so very happy to have with me today someone else who was contributing a lot for real, y'alls, to the UX community. Uh, thank you for joining me today and agreeing to interview me on the show, Tolu. Garcia. Welcome, Tolu. Go ahead and Thank tell the folks so who much. you are today. <laughs> that was such an awesome intro. Thank you so much for having me on the podcast. This is like such a cool idea. Like I've never done this before. So I'm pretty excited to be here. Um, but yeah, I'm Tolu Garcia, founder of UI Narrative, which provides online learning for product design through the podcast um, mainly and also through some coaching online through the DMs and Instagram on socials, emails, and also to um, a course that I'm working on that will be released soon. Um, and I'm also a senior product designer um, and I mainly like working with various like design and research agencies. That's my jam. Wonderful, wonderful. And I got to make sure, you know what? I just thought about something. You do mentoring, don't you? Oh, oh yeah. You know what? I got to add you to my living, breathing, educational UX uh, resource repository on Medium so that people can reach out to you to get some help. We need real mentors, y'all. So say, that's the <laughs> second time I said that today. We need real UX mentors because there's a lot of people claiming to be mentors out there. They're mm-hmm. not. There are people who've been doing UX for like three weeks, literally for three weeks and claiming to be mentors. There are people who said, oh, I'm happy. I'm a mentor with X, Y, and Z, but they were never a mentor before that. 
I'm, I'm of the firm belief that you are what you are before you step into it. Mm-hmm, if you get mm-hmm. my drift, you don't just become a mentor because now somebody signed up and you got a big name behind you. Were you helping people before? Did you have a passion before? Tolu is one of those people. Yeah. She helps people. I'm getting ready to say y'alls again. I'm not going to say, well, <laughs> no, that's the third. I did say it. But people who help other UXers, huge today. We need more of it. So so I need, I need to help promote what Tolu is doing. So again, thanks for being here today. And so here we go now. We're going to flip the script. And Tolu is taking over the show. All right. Oh, bam. All right. All right. right. It's, it's off to me now. So I guess I'm the host, <laughs> y'all. So y'all can address me as Tolu, Miss Tolu. Um, so I guess we can just start off. Like, I want to hear from, like, your own perspective. Like, why UX as a career, you know? There's so many careers out here, especially like when it comes to problem solving. But for those that are like on the edge of like wanting to make the switch, what's something for you that was the spark for you of like why UX? That's a dynamite question. It's funny because I I can't answer this without talking about how I got into UX in a sense. Mm. I was in 1995, (laughs) back when we were excited to have a 25 megabyte hard drive computer. Uh, our documents are bigger than that now, but there was a nonprofit that needed some help. They, everybody was rushing to the internet and this nonprofit wanted to get involved and wanted to get on the internet. And I had started doing, I was always like a techie kind of individual and was always helping. I, I was doing training, software training and, um, supporting different types of things from a technological perspective. I was already doing desktop publishing, things like that. They needed help getting on the internet. I felt that I knew enough to help out. So as I tend to do, I threw my hat in the ring and I helped out, not knowing that what it was going to turn into. And so as many early UX practitioners did, uh, people today make a choice to get into UX. I, I didn't, in a sense, I more collided with it. So when I did that work for that nonprofit, designing their first website, my first website and starting to my journey really and learning what the internet was all about, learning unbeknownst to me what user experience was all about, I began to pay attention to what we now know as information architecture. And I began to, you know what, is this really gonna work? I should test this with somebody. It was just common sense to me to go and test this thing to make sure, do people understand the way I put this together? Yeah, they understood it. Oh, we need to tweak that. I don't like the title on this. We didn't say nomenclature. I don't like the title on this area over here. We need to change that. It just doesn't, I don't think that's going to resonate with people. So we were doing all of this stuff. I did not used to give myself credit for it. You know, now I, I learned, uh, I think it's a good idea that I do. But at any rate, I, I collided with UX. It wasn't until 2005 that I made the conscious decision. You know what? I was doing UX part-time during the day, but not full-time prior to that in my day job. You know what? I love this. And then Mm -hmm. it was information architecture. I love what I'm doing. I get so much joy out of this. I get so much fulfillment out of this. I enjoy solving these design problems. I enjoy, I'm happy and I'm excited to get out of bed to come in to do this type of thing. This is what I want to do. And that's when the, the conscious deliberate decision was made to get involved with UX. So those things said people today, there are a lot of people getting into UX for all the wrong reasons. 
Mm-hmm. They're chasing dollars because they hear, you make what? I want that. So they come after it. No love for the discipline. No respect for the discipline. No understanding. Getting into UX is not, is not like getting into sales. It's not like getting into product management. It's not like becoming an accountant. Those disciplines are established and have a degree of maturity that don't require any upkeep. If you become a UXer, <laughs> you become partially responsible for the future of this discipline. And so what we have today is a bunch of people, again, chasing the, chasing the almighty dollar. There are people that are after the prestige. I've seen people, they just want UX in their title. They don't want to do UX work. They just want the job or the title. That's where we have issues today. So those of you who are not interested genuinely in doing user experience work, if you want to transition in, more power to you. We'll do what we can to help you. I've done shows talking about that specific topic. But if you aren't genuine, if you don't really love this, if you don't know mm-hmm. what it is, you got some discovery yeah. that you need to go through before you throw your hat in the ring for this discipline. Because otherwise you're going to be grossly disappointed when you find out mm-hmm. it's not what you thought it was. Mm-hmm. When you find out that, I mean, accounting, accountants, everybody knows what, knows what accounting is. So if the accountant comes in a room, people know what to expect. If the QA person comes into the room, everybody knows what QA is and they know what to expect. Uh, sticking in the on the design side now, forget the accountant thing. If a person is comes in and they are a developer, you know what to expect from the developer. You know what to expect from the project manager, from the product owner. We know what to expect from everybody except for the UX person. So when the UX person comes in, if you're not ready to deal with this and you come in there and you think everybody's going to respect you and love you and embrace you, you mm-hmm. are going to be... F- up for an extremely rude awakening depending upon where you work even the big name companies don't really know what ux is they fool people like you think they do they don't know what ux is and they do a lot of really weird things all you have to do is use their products and and the light bulb should come on immediately yeah you facebook you know that's that's they don't know what ux is i don't care i don't care how many people work there use Facebook for a couple days if it takes that long for you to recognize something is amiss <laughs> when it comes to this. They have so many researchers, but what are they researching? Because they ain't talked to me. Um, and we're all like guinea pigs, A-B testing guinea pigs for them. They, <laughs> they don't know what's going on. You got to love the discipline. I'm getting on my mm. soapbox. Get off mm-hmm. my soapbox for a minute. You got to love the discipline. And if you love UX, what you encounter will never cause you to turn around. It'll never cause you to, to uh, take your hands off the plow, so to speak. It'll, it'll never make you want to, I mean, there was a time I almost gave up. I no, can't remember if we talked about mm-hmm. this, Tolu, but I mm-hmm. almost walked away from UX in 2007 mm-hmm. because of something I didn't understand about UX. Mm-hmm. And, and I had a conversation with someone one day I was working for a large digital agency and the, the, the hostility that we experienced as UX team members was so beyond my imagination. I'm like, why would somebody come to work to go through this? Right. this is, it's like this you're is, on a battlefield. <laughs> yes. Sometimes. It is it's like a battlefield. And the people today, those of those folks out here, who think that, oh, we don't have any, why you use that metaphor? It's not a fight, Darren. 
Okay, Mr. <laughs> entitled, Mrs. Entitled, the Ms. Entitled, whatever entitled. Um, uh, no, there's a lot of battles. And if folks haven't, they, they say that, I've actually talked to people that said, there's nothing wrong. There's no fight over here. We don't go. No, you don't. But a lot of people today, it, it, it it's it's really volatile. I told somebody one day, I said, UX is really volatile. The person said, what do you mean mm-hmm. by that? I said, what do you mean what do I mean by that? What do you, <laughs> you said you've been doing UX and you haven't encountered this? Right. You don't know? It's a lot of okay. tension. Yeah, I mean, and if you don't know, you don't know. But to say you don't know and then say that we're wrong for saying it, that's a problem. Because mm-hmm. if we get in a room with 30, 40, 50 UXers, a huge volume of us know exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah. And, and so I almost walked away and I had a conversation with somebody and they said, you know, Darren, I told him he knew why I was frustrated. He knew why I was, I was ready to just call it quits and go back to customer service or anything but UX at the time. Mm-hmm. And he said, you know what? He said, there is such a thing, Darren, as healthy friction. Tolu, the light, bam, that was it. That was the turning corner for me. So I guess I'm not just talking about how I got into UX, but how I stayed. Mm-hmm. Because when I, you know what? There is such a thing as healthy friction. It is okay for people to disagree. It is okay for mm-hmm. people to reject what you're doing. Yeah. That's not the end of your career. It doesn't yeah. mean that you've done a bad job. It just People need to come to a point of understanding, and that's part of collaboration. In the midst of collaboration, there will be disagreement. Embrace it. Embrace and and respect someone's someone's right to disagree with you, even though you've done all the work and have all the data that says that you're right. That's something a lot of people are not ready to do. And so if you're not ready to do that, you either don't love the discipline enough or you haven't you haven't had your own personal light bulb moment. And I, I'd venture yeah. to say everybody needs a per would you agree? Totally every Oh, completely. <laughs> everybody needs a personal light bulb moment. Mm-hmm. Several of them actually, in the midst of UX in order to truly thrive today. So that's my answer to your question. Yeah. Also too, I would love to focus a bit more on like the joy of UX too. Cause I know like we can forever be on our soapbox of like all the negative things which might like make people like, wait, why do I want to get into UX again? Um, but there's a lot of like joy moments. Yes. So for you, like what's a visceral moment that makes you feel like, man, like I love my job. Like for me as a designer, it's always like when the project launches and I mm. see people like reacting well yes. to it, you know, yes. specifically the design of like, Oh, this is beautiful. It's like, Yes, like, you know, not only does the, the, the UX work, but, you know, it's a beautiful design. So, like, what's a moment like that oh for you? Oh, my goodness. You just reminded me of something that I started sharing with people a lot in that over the course of my career, which is now 27 years in UX, or what we now know as UX, is that I've learned, I mean, initially, do you start, do you look at money? When I found out that starting in the Midwest, starting salary for an uh, entry-level UX person was $75,000. That mm-hmm. was really beautiful for a person who's been a customer service rep for X number of years. Mm-hmm. That's a beautiful little number. 75 is a really amazing <laughs> salary. Like. You know, which, and, and so I can't blame people for being excited, wanting to be in UX. Yeah. The number yeah. alone will excite you. Mm-hmm. Um, but then you run into the things I talked about and you get real sober really fast. Mm-hmm. And you go, I don't care how much money it is. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. You, you have those moments. But then 
over the course of my career, where I was going with this is instead of focusing on the extrinsic, which is drawing a lot of people in the, the salary, the benefits, then all those different things that come along with the job over the course of my degree of my career, I've started to focus more on intrinsic mm. benefits, which is exactly what you're asking about. Joy is an intrinsic benefit. Satisfaction is an intrinsic benefit. When you do something and you just sit back and you put your hands behind your head and you just sigh yeah. and that smile, that slow smile, you know, a swile, a, a, a slow, well, no, no, that, that, doesn't, that doesn't add up, but you know what I'm going to get. Yeah, I get <laughs> With you. That, that really slow, it's almost like Grinch-like. It, it's mm, think about how the Grinch mm-hmm. smile real slow. It's like that you see and you go, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. When you start to see your research come to fruition, Mm. When you start to see people who did not embrace what you were doing, when you start to see that you're winning them oh, over. Yeah, that's just a good feeling. Yeah, when you, when, and, and not a, uh, I told you so moment, but there are times in my career, I mean, we, we have to rejoice. If you get heard 60% of the time, it's worth having a potluck over. Uh, because a lot of times we don't, we're not heard. Uh, still in 2022, we're still not heard. But there are times where you engage with somebody and you respect them as professionals. They, they struggle to accept you professionally. A lot of times, truth be told, when you win that person over, mm-hmm. I, I remember one company I worked at where most of my customers or many of my customers, my internal customers were engineers. That is one of the toughest um, <laughs> nuts to crack <laughs> in all yeah. of the professional <laughs> world trying to make sense and get some engineers to stop saying we've always done it like this. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll never forget working at that company, big company, over 380,000 employees when I was there. That's a big company. Mm-hmm. Um, and at first it was like, we don't need you. Why are you here? A lot of people have that attitude they're blowing you off and being manipulative and all mm-hmm. kind of crazy things i even had a patent taken for me in in, mm-hmm. in that or they left my name off of it it was the whole thing was my idea and i was the one whose name wasn't on it when it was submitted to the patent office but eventually got to the point where those same people if they started a meeting on a design project and they would look around they would say wait a minute where hold it where's darren Darren wasn't invited. What do you mean Darren wasn't invited? And they would stop everything to make sure that I was, they were not going to go a step further Mm. until I was there to make sure that I was in, in Germany Mm -hmm. at certain meetings. That's, that's pretty, that's that's pretty good feeling. You know, the value you provide there. Yes. Yes. And so that kind of satisfaction, those intrinsics Mm. respect, the respect of your professional peers, that's joy. That, that's sheer and utter joy. And so these are the things that you have to labor for them. You got to earn them. And I've always been of the frame of mind that know that nobody has to respect you. They don't have to accept you. You have to earn it. So when, when you know as a UX professional that you have to earn the respect of your professional peers in mm-hmm. other disciplines, then just go out there and just earn it. And, and don't take anything personally that anybody does. They'll be the first to tell you, eh, it's not personal. No, it's not. People are, have you ever heard Tolu? You, you've heard the phrase before, stubborn as a mule, right? 
Mm-hmm. Did you know that they're not really stubborn? Uh, I don't know why it was a phrase in the first place. I've never used it, but I've heard it. Yes. Yeah. Mules are actually not stubborn. They're actually highly intelligent. But here's the catch. Mules don't like stepping outside their comfort zone. And so people started labeling mm-hmm. them as stubborn. See, now the light, right? another light bulb mm-hmm. moment, right? So a lot of people are like mules. They're, they're smart and they know certain things like the back of their hand. And when you try to get them to do something outside their comfort zone, they push back. So people are not being mean or not being nasty. And when we say a lot of these environments are hostile and sometimes toxic, it's not intentional. Mm-hmm. And so as a, that's why EQ, that's why I'm such a big, a big proponent of EQ for you extras, because you need to let that stuff roll off your sleeve because it's just a momentary thing. Hang in there, keep going forward, keep advocating for the users, keep being the expert voice and watch things change. Mm-hmm. So, and then that, then the joy, and that's the kind of stuff that I get my satisfaction out of. I, I would, I'm glad I chose this career. Mm-hmm. I'm glad that I came back after that conversation about the about the healthy friction. Um, and I've had a smile on my face ever since. Even when things are crazy, when things are crazy, I just sit there and smile. To now, I look at it as free. Inter- what one day was friction became healthy friction, and today I call it free entertainment. <laughs> <laughs> Something to laugh about later. Right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and we all laugh about it. Me and the client, we all laugh. Remember mm. when? Oh yeah, but we got over it. Look at what we did. Look at what we produced. Mm-hmm. And and they're celebrating with you. That's a good feeling. Yeah. That's a good feeling. Yeah. For companies that like don't know what UX is. Mm-hmm. And I feel like it's those companies that like, they think they know what UX is, but they don't really know what UX is. Um, <laughs> let me think how I want to phrase it. So like, <laughs> we can't expect UX to be done by the book. I'm putting quotation marks. I can't see the book by the book um, because it's still relatively new in Mm -hmm, a sense. mm -hmm. Um, And it seems like, you know, teams are just kind of doing like whatever time our money can allow. So like that's a misconception that I've like heard about a lot as far as like, Oh, like companies will always follow the UX process because like they hired a (laughs) UX designer. They know what UX is. So I just want to talk on that a little bit as far as like a someone that's going to a company, maybe they're the first first UX designer Mm -hmm. or UX researcher there. What are some things that they can expect when it comes to educating the company? Because I mean, oh my goodness! Regardless of if you're the first, there's still some education that needs to be done because the person before you could have been doing things completely wrong. Um, But when it comes to like educating and Cause you can't, you can't just like up, uh, tear the rug from underneath them. Right. Cause you right. don't want them to like fall right. on their asses. But like, <laughs> what are some tips that you can give there for someone that, um, wants to give some education to a company? I love this question. At? Love this. This reminds me of something that is being missed by not only companies and it's not the company's job to know this. A lot of UXers have, we all have radars. Mm-hmm. And there are certain topics on those radars. And one of the topics that is missing from, ironically, the vast majority of UXers radars and is at the root of a lot of issues at different companies is that of UX maturity. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so 
And a lot of people who know what UX maturity is don't lift a finger to manage the UX maturity at their companies. So consequently, if left to govern itself, it can only become dysfunctional. So the understanding of UX goes lacking. Hiring for UX properly goes lacking. The operation, a lot of these companies hire non-UXers to run their team. They don't even know what UX is. And a lot of them, you talk to them, they actually hate UX, but they got mm-hmm. thrust in. They're doing a job that they don't want. <laughs> and then the side of those same people are threatened by people like me and like you that come in because they don't want to have to be accountable to any yeah. standards. So, th- so when you go into a situation that may not be staffed the way that you like, and, and maybe everything is, and in fact, this is the average the average UX operation today is not what we would like it to be. If, if we were given a, the old proverbial question we like to ask in research, if you had a magic wand and you can do, what would you, the, the thing we walk into is not what that magic wand would have, would have been used to create. Mm-hmm. So when you go into these situations, you have to be ready to do the work, of course, but you also have to be ready to bear the burden, especially if you're a mm-hmm. one or two person or part of a two-person UX team, you have to be ready to bear your share of the burden to manage the UX maturity level. If you don't pay attention to it, you're in trouble. You're in trouble. And and so so there's never just do the work. And I say this all the time. UX is about more than just the work. Mm -hmm. It's about more than the work. You can't, matter of fact, the work is at the most 40% of our job. And a lot of people getting into UX don't know that. I just want to do research. Well, you can't just do research. The, the discipline is too young. If, mm-hmm. if you're opting in, you're not just opting in for you. You're opting in for all of us. So you have to come into the company. Every time you do UX work, embedded in that work must be education. You have to be able to spot educational opportunities. You have to be able to, okay, I'm about to do this work. And I'm going to show them my recommendations for the design. And and I need to understand that I have to explain why I'm making every single solitary reputation in a way that is not condescending. Yes. It's hard sometimes. (laughs) So just like, why would I do that? Like (laughs) you have to, you have to speak, you have to learn, you have to become a corporate bilingual. You have to learn, you speak UX, you speak English, you speak UX. Now you got to speak exec is what I call it. You have to, cause you have to convey and educate people about UX or convey terms and ideas and educate people about UX in their terms and not ours. Yes. So you have to go be ready to not just do the work, but be ready to, some people don't like the term evangelize, but that's what it is. You I have mean, to be, you're convincing them. <laughs> and that's it. And that's it. You have to be, you have to convince people why you're relevant mm-hmm. without saying it. That's hard. A lot of people want to, I'm important. Let me show you why. And it's not necessarily in those words, but they do stuff that it's saying that it has to be calm. It has to be under the radar. It has to be stealthy. You have to educate people and they don't even know they were being educated. Yes. It's like, that's, trick are you good at that? Psychology. <laughs> That's what we have to do. Mm-hmm. You can't just, I'm just going to do a wireframe and a prototype and I'm going to, which design do you like better, A or B? That dumb stuff yeah. that pops up on LinkedIn all the time is so mm-hmm. ludicrous. 
and, and, and childish. And, yeah. and people don't realize there's so many things going on. Mm-hmm. And Oh, and I got to throw this in here. If you, one or two of you, start doing things that will help you to be able to build that team. Mm-hmm. Because if you're the first person and you stick around, guess who's likely to become the first director? Mm-hmm. Depending upon how much experience you have. So you have to start learning about how do I structure. Uh, Jesse James Garrett has a leader, uh, a, a, a design leadership podcast. I bet you a lot of people don't know about it. You better listen to that guy. You know, stop listening to these people been doing UX for, for three years and go and listen to these, the, these OGs who have a, the same way they did it in accounting. They listen to their OGs, mm-hmm. medical profession. They listen to their OGs. Uh, every construction workers, hairdressers, they listen to their OGs because that's what helps the discipline to go. UX is like the only discipline on the face of the earth where people want to fight against everybody who went before them. Mm-hmm. It's absolutely insane. And then it creates a problem for the discipline at large. Embrace people who've been around more than you. Embrace people who know more than you. Not the celebrities out here. You, and learn how to spot celebrity, UX celebrities. And shoot that foolishness down. It doesn't help anybody. Celebrities aren't in it for the discipline. They're in it for their own personal, their own personal satisfaction. And it's easy to see because they, one, they love charging for everything that they do. It, 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 you have every right to to chart, to make money off of what you do. That's not my point. My point is that when you love what you do and you love what, what, what all of this is about, you want everybody to flourish. You want everybody to, to, to be able to do their absolute best. It takes the discipline forward. And there's only a few people that I know of who just give, 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 and give of themselves. When you come to a time where maybe you need to charge for it, it's understandable. But when that becomes the bane of your existence, (laughs) that becomes the main thing that you're about, then it gets ridiculous. And there are people who want to charge goo-gobs of money for nothing. Doesn't make sense. Doesn't make sense. So be ready to teach. Be ready to do more than the work. Be ready to help others. Be ready to, uh, almost forgot this, be ready for a completely unrealistic uh, bevy of work to be thrown in your direction (laughs) when you're in an environment like that uh, and and come up with a plan to handle it. Be ready to push back. One thing I love, I've heard people say over and over, don't try to do or fulfill every request that comes into your department. When you're understaffed, Start to say no and talk to leaders. What is the highest priority? Get with leaders to help you prioritize. Here's, I got 10 requests. Which of these are important to you? Tell the other people, sorry, can't help you right now. This is what leadership has said, this, 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 and this. Partner with leadership. Mm -hmm. Align yourself with them. Don't try to do it all all yourself. It doesn't, it simply doesn't work that way. So those are the best uh, bits of uh, uh, recommendations that I can provide to somebody in a situation like that. Hmm. Very, very good stuff there. Um, When it comes to education, I know you've talked about education on your podcast um, quite a bit, Um, but for someone trying to decide like, what are like the top three things I need to look for before deciding on what education route I want to go, um, what 
what should they do? Cause you know, <laughs> right now it's a bit of a, um, chaos. It's, it's like so much to choose from. <laughs> so it's like, you can filter it down. Right. And you might find like, Oh, these seem like credible, good sources, but like how in your own words, like, would you define it being credible, something that they it's worth spending their money on. And I'm going to just say like in the broad sense of things from if they're choosing to the self-taught route, and it's not really self-taught because you're going and you're going to find right. someone, you know, that's going to help you teach you that type of stuff or like, you know, going to university. Um, what would be like those top things that they should look for to, to make that decision? This one's going to be tough. Um, so I'm going to approach it from a couple of different angles. And you make me think about the, the talk I did on the trouble with UX education. And in that talk, I provide paths. If you want to go the self-taught route, here it is. Here's the pros. Here's the cons. You want to go to a, do not go to a boot camp at all. Just throw that out. That's not even on the table. Why? Why, Darren? I'm going to refer you back to an old episode called the UX Bootcamp Brouhaha. I don't remember the episode number, but look at it because nobody appreciates being deceived, misled, mm-hmm. hoodwinked, bamboozled. <laughs> Go down there. <laughs> uh, nobody appreciates that. That's what you're getting if you go that route, even some of the certificate programs, such as the Google certificate, it really has nothing to offer you. Did you know Tolu that, uh, uh, I got to digress. Google offered, they, they have a, um, what do they call it? An apprenticeship, a UX apprenticeship. And one of the requirements was if you apply for this position in order to be considered, you cannot be someone who attended and graduated a Google UX certified. The, Are the you certif- kidding? <laughs> Can I cuss on this podcast? <laughs> Are you freaking kidding? <laughs> Can you believe that? Can you believe that? That 300,000 wow. people just became ineligible. <laughs> 300,000 people just became ineligible. Oh my God. Hypocrisy at its finest. Mm-hmm. Hypocrisy at its finest. You went it's to the their program. <laughs> Oh my God. Guess who doesn't trust their own program? Wow. At any rate, at any rate. So. (laughs) (laughs) That is just phenomenal. You can't make this stuff up. Um, So, so, and I'll throw in a couple here. If you're self-taught, it can be done. And that just means you're looking at books and you're reading, going to websites and you're going to conferences. You're not going through a formal self-taught means you're not going through a formal path of education uh, where you're sitting in some type of a classroom, whether it's remote or in person, or you're just looking at books and things of that nature. Uh, and, and so you can, it's, it can be done. That's how a lot of us did it uh, early in the day. I was, that's how I started. I didn't get anywhere where I, where I wanted to be until later, but it can be done. And there are people that are doing it today. There are some risks if you go that way, but the biggest challenge that people are unaware of is that it's very slow. Mm. It's very, very slow. So, so don't forget that it's slow. Uh, you are, you do have an arrogance risk if, because there are people who've done it and they put themselves on a pedestal because they've done it and you're disqualifying yourself from excelling at UX, no matter what somebody on the job told you, no matter whether you got hired or not, there's if, if that EQ disconnect to arrogance, 
bad as, as bad juju right there. Some people would say, um, again, no boot camps, totally off the radar because they just, they're not really helping people. And some people will say, well, it's a good start. So's reading a book. So <laughs> without any, without the risks of what people get by going. So boot camps is without even going there. Boot camps are off the table. Uh, you can go the certificate route. Uh, and by that, I'm not talking about Google. And I do recommend from time to time, University of Michigan has a program. Ironically, it's available through Coursera, just like Google, but everybody's so busy. They don't realize that they're engaging in hero worship, ch chasing the Google brand. And there are viable universities, which I'm about to explain why I say that, who also have similar programs that don't get the same traction as Google. And they were already more qualified to teach you about UX than Google was. So people actually, critical thinking is a big part of this. If you don't apply critical thinking, you will never not knowingly select the proper educational path. So there must be critical thinking. When I'm talking about cert uh, certificate programs, I'm talking about like eCornell. Cornell has a program. Um, UCLA has a program. There are, there are institutions that offer a certificate program for people who are either grad, undergrad, or maybe you're neither. You just want to go and take four or five courses so you can get started in UX. And the key, the thing I said I was going to mention, is that these are accredited institutions. That's the difference between the University of Michigan or the San Jose State program that's on Coursera versus the Google program. Google will never be accredited from an educational standpoint. That means that a third party has validated and certified them, they're offering you what, what a bunch of people, you know you're not certified when you finish that program, right? But isn't it funny that Google is not certified to teach, uh, but, but these universities are? So you mm -hmm. gotta take that into consideration. That's what an accreditation is. That means somebody has certified them and validated that they have gone through the proper rigors to engage in that science, which we know is education. It is a science, and if people engage in education, that's another reason that, that boot camps are not good. There's no, I guess I am going to touch on it in a minute. There is no accreditation with boot camps. There is zero competition for enrollment. People don't realize when you go to college, it's not just about what you can and can't afford. You have to get admitted unless you go to DeVry or, or some other for-profit university. You have to compete to get admitted to the program. The only thing you have to do to get into a program at a, at a boot camp is show up with the money. But that's all they wanted in the first place. They don't care about you. They care about whether or not you're going to give them money. It's another reason that I don't recommend them. But you got Cornell, UCLA, uh, so, and those programs cost like $3,600, roughly, something like that. If you can't afford $50,000, who, who cares? Go and do the other one. I recommend that people go through that route if they can afford it and if they're comfortable because of the accreditation, because there is a sense of accountability that comes with that accreditation that they're going to pass on to you as a student. When you're learning, you need to be accountable. And people, not only is Google not hiring people who come through their program, there is no accountability in that program. Your, your work is being graded by peers. That's not how things are supposed to work in education. It should be graded by an expert who's leading the course. That's not happening. So if you really want to get education done right, go somewhere where accountability and accreditation are in place. 
Of course, then you can go to degree program. You can get an undergrad degree. You can get a grad degree. Of course, it's going to cost you more money. But there's a lot of benefits that come with that too. And degrees pay for themselves. And people need to understand that. Uh, It also tells me if I see a degree on your resume, and by the way, I look at resumes. I don't look at portfolios. I sort of kind of don't even pay attention to portfolios when they come along. I look at your resume. If your resume isn't worth my time, I'm not looking at your portfolio because you're telling me that you're not professional. Get your resume together. (laughs) Represent. Tell me who you are. Represent. Don't have uh, typos sprinkled here and there and all kind of weird things. And you say that, and and there's just a lot of weird things that happen on resumes. Have somebody look at it, make sure it's right, get it cleaned up, represent yourself properly, make sure your LinkedIn profile is solid, build all that stuff up, but get education from a place that matters. Because when you look at it, when we're looking at a resume and I see both of these candidates are great and it comes down, it can come down to where you were educated. And that's where that degree means something. It means that's why I went to Syracuse. Mm. Syracuse on a resume means something, mm-hmm. you know, instead of uh, Belle Isle Tech. And that, that school doesn't exist. doesn't make that up because that's a island here in Detroit, you know, there's no Belle Isle Tech, but um, some people in Detroit who listen to the podcast will get that joke, but you, you need to have gone somewhere, you know, not university of Phoenix. And I'm not necessarily putting that down, but realistically speaking, if, if you have three people and one person went to university of Michigan, one went to DeVry and the other went to university of Phoenix, the person from university of Michigan is going to get the greater attention. All thing, all other things being equal. If mm-hmm. that's even remotely possible, which it probably is not because there's, there's just more accountability. There's more rigor when you go to a university than there is through getting educated through other means. So understand that when I can't afford that, can you afford not to? So just take it into consideration. It's worth it. I got two master's degrees. I'm, I'm when I see my, my student loans, I'm kicking myself about it. And a lot of people see it and they're scared to death of me because I have two people are either scared of me or they're, they're, they're flat out intimidated. And I know there's a thin line between being scared and intimidated. Uh, threatened is probably a better word. They're threatened because I got that. I chose to do that. Uh, and that doesn't mean that somebody's going to, going to pay me for it, but I chose to do that. So, because I wanted to make sure all my gaps were accounted for. You know, are, are you, do you have that courage? today. So there's a lot of paths you can take when it comes to education, pick the right one for you, but know whatever way you go, know what the pros and the cons are. And there's pros and cons to each. I can't, I can't recommend one in particular. I can tell you not to go to a boot camp. I can tell you that. <laughs> and I can tell you not to go to any educational resource that lies to you. I don't, I don't care if it's a four year institution, write them off. And yes, four-year institutions and, and uh, universities are lying to people now to get them to enroll in UX mm-hmm. programs. So that's become a thing now because a lot of them are scared to death of what the boot camps have done. So now mm-hmm. they're reacting to the boot camps. That's not ethical. So when you see a, a, a program that is kowtowing to the boot camps, write them off too. And if you don't recognize it, make sure you connect with people like me who can. And get the help. There's people out here who will help you. And no, not, not ADP less, not that, no. <laughs> then he had to throw in the, um, the hook at the end. Um, next, I want to get into companies. We talked about this a little bit before, but I also want to just 
talk more about like a person at a company um, who is looking to try to incorporate UX practices. So they're already like a designer or researcher. They've been hired with the company. They've mm-hmm. been working there. Maybe initially they were hired on for a project, but now like the project's like, you know, um, ended um, and they're kind of like in a limbo of like trying to figure out like, okay, what's, what am I going to do here? Something I typically tell designers is like, oh, you can, you know, do UX audit of their website to look for potential um future projects that you could do at the company um, or, you know, leave the company if, if it comes to the point, but like what, any advice there, like tips, if um, situations that you've had like that to where you've been in limbo, you don't really know, okay, what are we going to be working on now? Um, Because there's not any direction from the team on like how they want to utilize a UX designer or researcher. Um, What's something that uh, the designer researcher could do to be like productive in that situation there are a couple things you can do and i think this is a a strategy we all need because pretty much there will there will be lulls there will be lulls and that's when understanding things like ux strategy really come in handy because that's a time for the team to regroup and build if there's a team you know whether it's two three or four whatever it is spend some time hey we got some downtime coming Let's build each other up. Let's 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 evaluate our practice. That's something you can do. Let's look at let's look at how our UX maturity level is doing. Let's let's try to evaluate it. Let's see what we can do from a strategy perspective. How well are we doing in managing our UX maturity? You can focus on that. If you have dedicated researchers, or in, even if you don't, actually, I don't come across many UX teams that benchmark, that engage in benchmarking, which is an ongoing thing. How well are our products doing? Where do we stand today? How proactive are you in your practice? And so when you have lulls, that's a great time to focus on proactivity within your team. Evaluate your team's proactivity. Are are you waiting for everybody to come to you with issues or are you finding things that you know need attention? So when lulls come about, you should have something in the hopper that, that you can do. Uh, this is something I've done throughout my career as long as I can remember. Um, there is a challenge, and I should mention this as well, because if you are a person that doesn't need anybody to tell you what to do, um, it can be a challenge from the perspective that you're always, you always have something on your radar, uh, but other people don't know that, and they're always throwing things at you. There's a frustration that can come behind that because you know when you look at these things and you know there's some things that need to be done and people are always throwing things over the wall at you, you won't really get to pay attention to those things you've identified. So you don't get to demonstrate your proactivity, which is a great way to demonstrate your value as a UX operation to the organization at large because you're constantly coming up with things. They go, wow, those people are really forward thinking. Wow, those people are really sharp. If you're a reactionary Joe and that's all that you ever do is react uh, some people will then begin to look at you, look at your operation from a detrimental point of view. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so that's a that's a tough thing to manage mm-hmm. between the two. So try to find a way that you can, even if you find find those proactive projects and divide them between low-hanging fruit and, and more long-term engagements. And when you have those lulls, 
make sure you take out the low hanging fruit so you can do it from time to time, which will help mm-hmm. you to have more mm-hmm. satisfaction, help you to bring the value as well as keeping the, the, the ball moving forward for the, for the organization as a whole. Um, but don't get into the trap of always seeing things, but I can never touch them because somebody always has something for me. Mm-hmm. And, and they always come up later and finally see the thing that you've had on your radar for a year. And they bring it up and sometimes they'll say, how come you didn't do this? Why did I have to tell you about this? Like, and, and then you, now you're looking around because you knew it's been on your plate for a year. And it doesn't <laughs> make sense to tell anybody because if you do, why haven't you done it yet? They, they don't know how you've been managing your cadence. So mm-hmm. just some challenges, something to be aware of. Yeah, definitely. Um, for those who are like struggling to find like their voice, at work or in this space, like um, I was one of these people early on in my career. It was challenging for me to express my opinions. And um, <laughs> eventually I did get better at like advocating like my design decisions. And a lot of that too, was just came from talking on the podcast. I feel like um, it mm. became more natural to me, but um, for anyone that's, you know, maybe struggling a little bit, like presenting their work uh, maybe they like fumble on their words a bit or maybe they feel like oh I didn't do the best job I could have done um any advice there as far as like what key moments or key things have um you added to like your style of presentation or preparing for meetings that helped you feel more confident when you are done (laughs) you want to hear the funny thing I don't think we talked about this before Tolu Mm -hmm. you know I'm actually shy Really? Yeah. <laughs> See, I knew you had some secrets. Spill them because actually... <laughs> like people would never know. And there are people out here that are shy too, but they they would never. I'm sure they are surprised as well. You know what my secret sauce is with that, and it's not. I don't think it's a direct answer to your question, so I'll I'll get back around to that. My secret sauce is my heart is bigger than my shyness. Mm-hmm. So I love I love to give. If I see a need, I'll respond to it. Mm-hmm. If I'm if I'm capable. But here's the here's the catch. Um, I feel a sense of indebtedness to the UX community because of what I know. So I'm not trying mm-hmm. to make a name for myself. I'm trying to help because it's needed. So that 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 need it basically overrides my, my shyness Mm. and I speak up Mm -hmm. and then when I'm done, I shut up. (laughs) Matter of fact, the funny thing is I, and I'm not only am I shy, but I'm an introverted thinker and I know Mm -hmm. I've frustrated people over the years because we'll go, we'll be in a meeting or if you put me in a room by myself and say, Hey Darren, this is, we need this so-and-so and and -and so-and-so. Can you work on this? I go in there and you know, two hours later, come out, bam, done. Give you the world. And I actually tell people that. Let me know what you need. I'll give you the world. I actually mm-hmm. tell people that. Put me in the same room with the same issue and add two more people and I do nothing. Oh, it, it, really? it is I'm, because I'm an introverted, I'm an introverted thinker. Uh, you like so to be in your own thought space alone. I need, I need, I need to be void of noise. Mm-hmm. And people don't realize when you throw three people into a room and ask them to solve a problem, it actually is more difficult because now we have to synchronize the three brains in order to get the work done. If, if there's just one, we just knock it out. I, I got 27 years. What, what, I don't need any help per se. 
See, so so when people you throw other people in the room with me, I, I'm sitting there trying to figure out why I'm here. <laughs> what, am I, what am I supposed to be doing? What do you want me to do? Now we got to find out what are the rules of engagement and oh, who does, who's responsible for what. And I'm thinking about all of that. And so when all that's, instead of getting work done, but if you just put me in a room, nothing. Matter of fact, when I, I was, here's another secret. And people on the podcast are going to be shocked by this. I was triple promoted out of kindergarten. I've been reading since I was two. I was reading newspapers when I was two years old. Wow. No joke. I was the family entertainment. Watch this little two-year-old kid read this paper. And I would read it. And I, I didn't think Party anything trick. of it. No, and and, and uh, they were just floored by this. So I got I got triple promoted out of kindergarten. My mother said no, um, because that's gonna detrimentally impact him from a from an interpersonal perspective. Let's how about the second grade? So mm-hmm. I was so I ended up landing in the second grade instead of the third grade. And she was right, because I, I ended up struggling because mm-hmm. a lot of kids and, and, and I started immediately because I was I would get beat up for being smart and all that other kind of stuff, and we won't go down yeah. we won't go down that 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 trail. We won't tell that story today. But it was all, I was always just reserved. And, and, I, and it probably had something to do with me getting beat up because I was smart. So I, I got really reserved and I stayed that way. Um, mm. And it was funny is, so I'm shy. I prefer to be in the back corner in a, in a group event, a group UX event where I'm not the speaker. You'll find me in a corner saying nothing unless I'm called on. And, and a lot of times if, if I'm in a meetup and they find out I'm there, I get called out. I get called up to the front because they know I'm there. But I don't have to be heard. Um, There's just a lot to it. I, but I just, I, I, I'm, I'm quiet. I'm reserved. That's the other thing I was going to, I almost forgot. Uh, Myers-Briggs, ISTJ. And, and, and a lot of people hear about Myers-Briggs and some people don't like Myers-Briggs. I love it to a great extent. Uh, I, I know it's flawed to an extent, but it also sheds a lot of great light. The thing that I, the reason why I bring that up is because that I stands for introverted. It doesn't mean that I don't want to be around people. Like people take that stereotypical definition mm-hmm. of introvert and throw it in there. It, it has to do with the, the I, the introvert and extrovert part of Myers-Briggs is not about that. It's about where you draw your energy to get things done. So I'm introverted. I don't need, I'm a self-starter. What do you need mm-hmm. done? Don't, don't throw me in a room with a bunch of people. And, and that's what the people who come up with all these design sprints and stuff, it, mm-hmm. it's kryptonite to people like me because it, 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 it strips us of our power yes. instead of empowering us. Mm-hmm. So you can put eight people in a room, have them go through a design sprint, put me in the other room and I'll come out with more than them. Pretty much guaranteed. <laughs> Give, given requirements, give me requirements and I'll give you more than they will. Mm-hmm. Folks don't know what's going on anyway. So I'm, I'm shy. I don't draw energy off of people. And that was the reason why I brought up that thing about when I was a kid is because I, I found out that, and I, I only learned this in retrospect and it was shared with me. You put me in a room, a group of people to learn and my learning slows down. Really? If you put me in a room by myself, Rocket ship, mm-hmm. same thing, same same principles. So so, but it's funny to watch people react. Man, is Darren 
dumb or something. He didn't get any of that. No, I'm in here with a bunch of folks, and I don't know what any of you are doing. I'm I'm trying to feed, figure all you folks out. Huh? Thinking about that. Oh, give me that thing, and I'll figure it out in two minutes. It but, makes me think of like when someone come, like when I used to work in the office, someone coming behind me, like standing there, and all of a sudden oh, I forget all the keyboard shortcuts. It's like, uh, I hate that. I don't remember how to design anymore. I hate that. I you make make me think about one of my UX nightmares, where me helping somebody again. There was a UI designer who was interested in UX, so I was trying to help him with his with his desire to get into UX. I'm mm-hmm. trying to help him, so I'm letting him watch me work. Mm-hmm. And I'm, you know, maybe you might be interested in getting uh, an actual license, or maybe you might be interested in doing X, Y, and Z. You know, I'll, I'll help you. Is that you want to watch me? But this guy, instead of watching me, so that he could learn, he began to. He was act, he actually was jealous and had an attitude. So he would stand. You reminded me of this when you said that he would stand over my shoulder. And watch me work and then start micromanaging me, which of course slowed me down. Gosh. Because you're not leaving me to myself. I have a lot of memories <laughs> of that shit. Man, why are you back there? And then I found mm-hmm. out the guy, oh, I, I'm not even gonna get into those stories. But uh just really bad. So that's sort of people if, if you haven't and I know I just went all the way around the world with this, so here we go with the with the actual answer. If you want to get better at presenting. Find a local Toastmasters group in your area. That's what they specialize in, helping people to become better at their presentation skills. Where you can go out and there's a bunch of other people just like you who feel that they struggle when it comes to to presenting. And everybody takes turns giving presentations and you can build your confidence that way. Now, why do I say something like go and check out Toastmasters? Because there is a movement in UX today where people feel like, you know, just go and present. Go and speak at your local UX event. Do this, that, and the other, and you can build yourself up. There's this thing called guinea pig. Don't make everybody your guinea pig by going and speaking at an event. The person, the you're a UX professional. People sitting in the audience are there to hear something to build them up in their career and to meet other people, not to be experimented on. Mm. That is unethical, and people don't, they buy into, I'll just go, I don't know what I'm talking about, but I'm going to fake it till I make it. That's unethical. Stop doing that. Stop doing things. That, stop growing at the expense of other people. Offer mm-hmm. something of value mm-hmm. and, and grow that way. Well, Darren, you know, the best way to learn is to teach. Why are you mm-hmm. telling me that? Which one of us is a certified instructional You're designer? You're making me think of like... Um... <laughs> conferences i've gone to talks and i'll the title will be amazing i'll go and i'm like you're just showing your portfolio of work yep like what am i learning from you yep that's what they do folks go out and they they want to do something they want to grow at the expense of someone else Mm -hmm. not good at all and and, and, you know just mentioned something else that's going on in ux i'm going to take this opportunity to pull my soapbox out again for a minute a lot of ice has stopped going to conferences for the most part. You show me a list of 30 conferences. I might go to one. A lot of conferences today, they buy into the UX celebrityism. Yes. That when you apply to speak, if you don't have a sensationalistic topic, you will not get approved to speak at that conference. If you, if you have something practical to say, 
that's going to stick to your cognitive ribs, you will not be approved to speak at that conference. People want garbage. People don't want to be accountable. They don't want to hear the truth. They want you to play with them. And, and that's why you hear these people, the example you just gave, people speaking at the conference, talking about nothing, but it, go talk to that person after after they're done. And they're gushing. I spoke, or go look at their LinkedIn profile. I spoke at UXR, UXRS conference. I spoke at, I did this. I did. You never see them speaking anywhere else five years after that. Because <laughs> truth is, they're scared to death. And if you're right. afraid that they'll tell you, Build up your acumen. Mm-hmm. When you fill up on treasure, you'll have something to share. Mm-hmm. I don't know why people don't understand that concept. If you if you get something worth sharing, when you get up to share, you can't help but benefit people. Tolu, I started doing what I know was UX in 1995. You know, the first the first time was that I got up and spoke in front of people about UX. Eighteen years later, mm-hmm. eighteen. 17, 18 years. I was quiet for 17, 18 years. These people, they barely know that U and X are two letters in the alphabet and they're out speaking and, mm-hmm. and publishing all these, these ludicrous YouTube videos that make no sense. Because if your content is good, I can sit there and listen to it. I, I can't. It's, it's wrong. You don't realize that. If your content is good... Anybody of note will be able to listen to it. Anybody with with, with two ears and a, and a nose, so to speak, could sit there and take it in. But people just say some of the most ridiculous things. And, and, and the funny thing is, there was no misinformation in UX prior to 2011. None. But now, it's everywhere. So, And I know we're running short on time, too, so I'm going to reel myself <laughs> in there. It's the... <laughs> quick 10 second story like it's funny you say this about like conferences and stuff because I was actually invited to speak at this like information architecture conference and I was just looking through my emails to find the name of it but I couldn't find it but I was like what like what would I speak about like of course like I could go and try to prepare this whole speech but I'm just like <laughs> what do you what do you want me to talk about you know <laughs> i didn't pitch you i mean it's i'm it's honorable of, of course right if anyone's right. pitching you to be at a conference but it's just like you got to come with the topic in mind like what is like how am i going to provide value to people other than just talking about like oh <sighs> this is my experience in the field this is what i've worked on you know and i feel like that's what they came to me for because they're like oh you've worked here You've, you know, that's the way they like a, did the pitch. So it, it made me feel like, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know that I should speak there. And, and even so, people, like, I'm not ready for that. Like, I'm still, like, yeah. there's still so much that I'm trying to learn right now um, when it comes to, like, public speaking. So. Yeah. And, and it's and, and it's funny. Anybody who wants to do, I mean, build you up first. Public speaking is going to come. It's going to happen. Opportunities are going to come up. You're going to, and the more you spend time building treasure, the better of a position you're going to be in. When that time does come, you won't regret it, and the audience won't regret it. If mm-hmm. you get up too soon, it's going to something bad is going to come out of it. And Hi. and and a lot of people are are doing that. There was one guy on LinkedIn make me think about this. Oh, I think I I need to retire from being an influencer. 
And I saw that, that this person had <laughs> been reaching out to me, asking me for insights. Mm-hmm. And now he's on here talking about he's going to retire from being an influencer. And I come to come to find out, apparently, this guy's been taking stuff from his conversations with me and sharing it as if it was his thoughts. Trust and then me. he was catching flack for what he was saying. So now mm-hmm. he doesn't want to be an influencer. Guess how much uh, experience he had in UX? None or less, a month. Less than a year. <laughs> and it wasn't even legit. It wasn't even legit experience. He was, you know, we're supposed to list out our jobs on LinkedIn, our experience. He listed out, instead of companies, he listed out projects. So it made it look like he did a whole lot of work and he did like, you know, 15 projects over the course of a year, but he never worked anywhere. Mm. And that's, that's, you did all of those projects. Even that's somebody. Us, that, 15 projects in a year. Like what projects go that fast? It couldn't. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they don't, they don't. So people, don't realize when they're telling folks that they have nothing to offer. Mm-hmm. And he did. And then when he said that, I, I came along behind him and I said, you are, sir, you are not an influencer. And he never responded. You are not an influencer, but that's, it'll be years before the dust settles on, on all of this. Sadly, it'll be a year at least. Oh, I'm sorry. Years, 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 years. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> there's too many people dedicated to doing it, and they label people like like me as gatekeepers only because they don't want to be accountable to the things I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Not, to, and they're ignoring the fact if you do get it together, ignore me. Fine. Guess what? You're going to come face to face with within the next five years. The same thing I told you. Because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm only telling you what I've seen. I'm not telling. I'm not making any of this up. So you're going to experience it, and what are you going to do? You're not going to get any news from King toxic positivity. They don't have nothing to offer you. So you're going to need something that sticks to your cognitive ribs again to learn how to manage a particular situation. So, well, it is what it is. It is what it is. It is. (laughs) So I know we're getting to the end here, but I want to ask you like a completely random question. It's like not UX related. Um, Uh If there's like a food that you would um, want to like eliminate, like one food that you do not like, Eric, <laughs> <laughs> so that no one would ever eat it again. Oh yeah, this basically is easy. This is funny. Basically, you're erasing it from existence. Like, what food would that be? Okra. Really? Yes. Uh, okra. No looks more okra. My, one of my favorites. Looks like snot. <laughs> Well, when you put it that way, <laughs> so you know I'm Nigerian, right? So like, that's I knew you one were, of the core foods. I like. know, I know, I know. I just hurt everybody in Nigeria with that one, and a lot of people <laughs> down everywhere. Just okra. I I had a bad childhood experience with okra. Oh no! And I was told you should have it fried. No, I'm not having it at all. You could <laughs> you could get rid. How about I do this too? Let Let me shift and be fair. Uh, since you, you like okra, I can't get rid of your okra because you like okra, yeah. right? See, I'm a considerate guy. People don't really, I mean, I'm very well, considerate. Another one, please. But that means that somebody <laughs> else is going to lose something else. That's okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> they can lose it. I'm going to keep mine. So we have to get rid of one thing, one food. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to say um, squid. Yes, I agree. Let's get rid of squid. I'm allergic to squid. I do not. Oh, you're allergic? Uh, I don't like the texture and taste of it. 
Yeah. Somebody tricked me into eating squid once because I didn't know that calamari is another word for squid. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is long years ago, like thirty years ago, and um, longer than that. And uh, you want to try some calamari? And it touched my lip, mm-hmm. and I began to break out. That's how oh, bad. No. If I had eaten it, I probably would have died. Wow. That's a serious allergic oh, yeah. reaction, man. Oh, yeah. That's bad. Yeah. So we'll get yeah, rid of something. Go. Something we that I can't eat. keep you around here. But let's, <laughs> but let's get, let's get rid of, uh, let's get rid of that. You can, you can keep your okra, but please don't offer me any. Okra, chitlins, that kind of, uh, no. Chitlins can no, go. No. I, I would love what, see what would happen if they, it, this, I guess this is a nomenclature thing. If the package actually said guts, if people would still eat it, I guess they would. But I, <laughs> uh, yes, they would. But uh, no, I don't touch that. I don't touch stuff like that. <laughs> no, 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 no. And one of my favorites, I got to flip one of my favorites on there that I love. Mm. I'm going to introduce this. We were really off the beaten path, but that's okay. People need to yeah. hear that we're humans. In yes, the midst of all exactly. This, there was a company called, um, oh, you know what? I forgot the name of the company, but they make a um, a chicken tender mm-hmm. that's coated with coconut. Bell and Evans. The company uh-huh. is called Bell and Evans in the States. Mm-hmm. And they and uh, you get these chicken tenders in a box, but the coating, the breading is made with coconut. Mm-hmm. And it is delectable. You ever had Sounds Captain delicious. Crunch chicken? No, I haven't, but it, it sounds delicious. It must be like sweet. That's what it tastes right? like. Yeah, because uh-huh. they have that at Planet Hollywood serves Captain Crunch mm-hmm. chicken, and that's where I got turned on to it. I love Gave good it soul food. Some, <laughs> I, can, I can do soul food a little bit. I didn't grow up eating soul food. Mm. My soul food was Nigerian food, basically. <laughs> yeah, that's not that's not soul food. That's that's Nigerian food. I know, right, right. <laughs> I didn't grow up eating it either. My mom was like, no. Yeah, I grew up eating London broil and all that kind of bougie, mm-hmm. bougie stuff. <laughs> I always laugh about that. Little 10-year-old kid in the restaurant ordering London broil. Yeah, that was me. Quite yeah, this has been great, Darren. Like, thanks so much for having me. Thank you. Thank you, Tolu, for coming on and and agreeing to interview me. And we got to cover some things that people, even on the personal side, that, that people yeah. don't normally get to hear or sometimes I talk about, but not, not like this. So I love the, the questions that you presented and the way you framed it. And I think people will appreciate this episode. Now I'll, I'll be getting a bunch of feedback about it. And so thank you again for having me. We got to have you on for it. So we flip the script back. Oh yeah. And, and got to have you on here so we can, people can hear more about what's going on with you. And this, we haven't had the chance to interview you. Uh, so as I got so yeah. used to being interviewed by Tolu, I'd love to have Tolu come on the show. <laughs> yeah, I'm used to just being the one that interviews people. I don't really go on podcasts. So yeah, but we got to we got to do that. We got to have yeah. you on this show. So thank you again for helping me. And this our first week as we celebrate the two year anniversary month, uh, or the two year anniversary for the entire month of May. Let's rephrase that here on the World of UX podcast. So uh, as we get ready to wrap up, Tolu, tell them where they can find you, where, what is Tolu doing? Again, who is Tolu? Where can they find you on the interwebs, things of that nature? Take it away. 
Yeah. So you guys can find me on Instagram at UI Narrative or Twitter at UI Narrative CO. You can also email me at hello at UI Narrative.com. I do answer all messages, DMs. So if you reach out, you definitely will be contacting me directly. Um, also to LinkedIn, you can shoot me a DM on there. Um, as far as things that I'm working on, um, I have my podcast, UI Narrative, which is available on all platforms. Um, and also too, I will have a course out soon, which will be t- educating you on how to get into UX. Nice. I'm in the process right now of making, refining it, continuing to push myself to make sure that it is credible information that I'm giving you. So yes. continuous iterations on it to, to make sure you have what you need to um, start your career in UX. So yeah, please feel, re- feel free to reach out to me. Happy to answer any questions you have. I'm a product designer out here, so I really get into the weeds of UI design and all the different complexities about it. You're so interested in that. Fantastic. Fantastic. So thanks again. And folks, we are going to wrap up here. Uh, we appreciate you again, Tolu. Thank you for coming on and helping out today. But folks, that's all the time that we have for this episode. Join us again next time. But this is your host, the host of the world of UX, Darren Hood, signing off. Happy UXing, everybody. Thanks for joining us for this session of CX of M Radio. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit cxofm.org for more resources.